Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. Hello, this is Scott Santucci. And I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. Our podcast is dedicated to asking the big questions you should be asking if you want to be successful with sales enablement. Are you frustrated that no one seems to know what sales enablement does or what it is? Do you sometimes feel that something's not quite right? And do you believe that sales enablement should be offering your company a lot more impact, but you just don't have permission to tackle it? In this podcast, we're going to explore how challenging it is to do something different in business today. You know, Brian, in 1633, Galileo was condemned and convicted by the Catholic Church for technically vehement suspicion of heresy and was sentenced to basically life imprisonment until he died nine years later. And what was his big crime? The big crime Galileo had was he made the observation that the earth actually revolved around the sun and not the other way around. And that challenged a lot of conventional theology at the time, and there was a strong, strong, strong negative reaction. And the reason I bring up that story is it's human nature to stamp out something new or a new idea that uh, vies at conventional wisdom. So what are you talking about, Scott, right? You, you just hit us with a Galileo story, which is awesome, by the way. Great piece of history. But what, what are you trying to say? Are you trying to say that we're Galileos in sales enablement? What I'm saying is, in a, lot of, in a lot of cases, the information and the evidence dictate a different way than what you're doing with. And many people within the sales enablement space feel like they're heretics inside their company. They're told that, oh, you're just a sales trainer or sales enablement, we've been doing that for 20 years or 30 years or, or, or whatnot. Yet, the role keeps growing and growing and growing. So this idea of being a heretic really ties into to human nature. Those in power, when confronted with a lot of complexity and change, hold firm to the things that they do know, which puts those of us who are in a role that's expanding and growing to have to sell those people in a completely different way like Galileo did uh, in order to be uh, avoid being labeled a heretic. Yeah, that's a good point because uh, much like Galileo did, he had to con you know, convince people, share ideas with them, tell them something new. And, you know, there's a lot of friction there and he had a choice to make. And if you go, if you fast forward to today, you know, we both talked to a lot of sales enablement professionals that are new to the role, trying to stand up the role, et cetera. And when you look at what's going on, there's a lot of turnover and churn in the role. Uh, there, I, I've certainly seen a lot of friction between sales and training. Uh, between marketing and sales and, and even trying to get funding uh, where, where people say things like, well, that's just an overhead role. Why do I want to do that? And, you know, I feel a little bit like Galileo sometimes trying to explain the, the value add or the promise that I see in sales enablement. So you're right. And to really unpack how difficult it is to actually sell an, an entirely new role, 
let's think about a lot of the different friction points. There's friction points between sales and finance. For example, whose number is it? Is it the product number? Is it the product and business units number? Or is it the geographic sales team? Is, is there the one with the number? What's the role of marketing? What's the role of sales when it comes to sales messaging and the like? What's the job of a product marketer in a world where we're moving away from products? What do we do with, with, with sales training and uh, sales leaders and the role of sales management? All of these different variables, they're all happening today and it creates a lot of friction to what we're looking at, um, looking at today in terms of roles. So what we're gonna cover in this sec section is really how do we understand what those friction points are, how entrenched are they, and what, is it, what does it look like? That's great, and I think uh, I wanna take our listeners back a little bit in history here, <laughs> since we're on the Gal Galileo theme. Let's go back in nine or 10 years. You know, you were instrumental in creating, uh, or at least uh, starting, uh, the definition of the role at Forrester Research, which is one of the most uh, prestigious research companies uh, in business today. And I'd love to unpack that with you. Can we go there? Can we talk a little bit about what you did at Forrester? Sure. I think one thing to do is we, we got to go back 11 years ago. It's 2008. Uh, everybody can go back into their way back machine and remember what, what the world was like in 2008. We were in a very, very dire time in our economy and a lot of confusion was happening. And a lot of scared people, myself included, were happening. But at the time, what was going on within Forrester is like every business, it's organized. And Forrester was at the time organized around research around roles. So the idea of, hey, we have this subject matter around sales enablement. What does it look like? I certainly felt strongly that sales enablement needed to be its own role. The reason I felt strongly for that is I built a role before uh, in my past. I'd been a VP of sales and marketing and I saw a lot of, uh, a, a lot of conflict prior uh, to me joining Forrester and I had that strong opinion. The difficulty was when you bring up sales enablement, the way that Forrester was organized, first with a heavy bias towards marketing, no coverage, even to this day, no coverage really on around, around sales, not, not, at a, not at a role level. There's a little strong bias. So more or less the point of view was, well, sales enablement, that's really just product marketing, which there was a role for. I pushed back on that and said, no, it, has, it includes these element, elements of go to market. And they said, well, that's really market strategy then. And let, let's stick it there. And I said, no, that, that doesn't fit there. And we had a lot of conflict. So what I want to just do is first put in a box of how difficult it was to really get Forrester to do that. And Forrester is a, a, a market leading company. And at the time, there was no other sales enablement coverage. Uh, I think at the time, IDC had some content that they were repurposing from their own research to buy as training materials that they called sales enablement. But there was no role or no dedicated research function around the role. So that's yeah, really so let's, where we started out. Yeah, let's unpack that a little bit, right? So you have, um, you know, this idea of, you know, your vision, uh, your past experiences saying uh, we should have a role around this. There, there's a dedicated scope that you see in your mind. There's, a, there's some functional attributes that people in this role should be executing they should have certain skills etc there's this should be a role 
but what you're bumping into is, well, let's put it here, let's let's put it there, or isn't it just, isn't it just, or is, or is this what you're talking about? Kind of a, you know, people trying to make sense of what you're saying. Um, is that is that how, how that came across to you, or? Yeah, very the, much so. I think in, in terms of hindsight, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? The the vision that I had in my head was really the evolution of a bookkeeper all the way to a CFO. Roles change and evolve over time. And uh, if you think about the Charles Darwin uh, Christmas Carol, the tiny Tim's dad was actually a bookkeeper. Could you imagine in 2019, a CEO treating their CFO that way? But times change, roles evolve based on changing market needs. So I always had that in the back of my head. But I, I don't think I did a very good job the, of communicating. That's that's interesting, right? You take that as a given, you know, that, that roles are going to change and roles are going to evolve and it's happened in every space. If I think back to it, it's not just in, uh, you know, the bookkeeping space. Marketing's gone through the same transition and other functions have too. Why, why, why do you think it was uh, so hard or what, what did you hear about or what questions did you get with regard to this idea of sales enablement against the context of the changing business landscape? What? Did people get it? Well, I think I, definitely I don't think people get it. So the first step that we did when I started socializing it, socializing this idea, and I was frankly dumbfounded by, uh, by the feedback that I got from all these very, very well-accomplished experts who have lots and lots and lots of data points, as you could probably imagine. Uh, but the first, the first thing was I was surprised about the pushback. So I suggested why don't we get some executives, CEOs, or not CEOs, uh, VPs of sales and CMOs together and write out a definition of what they think sales enablement is and get them to discuss it. So no one really wanted to sponsor that idea. So I said, you know what, I'll recruit it myself. We'll have it at my country club in, in Virginia so I can pay for it. Uh, so I had, to, I had to offer all of these things while, while as a Forrester employee and I thought that was going to prove the case. We got a variety of executives together. This is where the why, why do you think that was important, though? Why, it was, why, why not just write a definition and publish it? Well, the reason that um, I didn't write a definition uh, was because no matter what I wrote was going to be countermined, countermeasured by somebody else saying, no, that's not true. And I have data that says sales enablement is really this. Because why? Because it's always been this way. It's always been part of the product marketing uh, uh, list. Look, here are all the deliverables that product marketers must do. That material is sales enabling. Yeah, what and I remember from my research, it was, it's, it's part of the four Ps. You know, exactly. it's, it's, it's placement. They just talk. Right. Yeah. Then, then you go to the training people and say, well, sales enablement has always been these kinds of things, you know, and people getting more and more sophisticated on it. And that really was never my experience when I was a VP of sales and marketing. I thought all of it was way too dense and, and not focused on, on where we're going. So what I wanted to do is instead of projecting my viewpoint, get a variety of executives together because we wanted to say, should this be a role? And really highlight the tension. Between the other, what, were some, uh, what were some of the companies that you got? Like, you know, um, are you talking Fortune 500? Are you talking? Oh yes, right. So they were all Fortune 500 companies. So some some at the top of my head uh, who were at the table. IBM was at the table. Siemens, um, uh, Sun Microsystems. That, you know, this was before they got acquired. Um, uh, CSC. 
uh, a variety of Xerox companies like that. So we had about 20 of those companies and 10 of them, 10 of the members, 10 of the participants in this meeting were sales leaders, chief sales officers, and then the other half were CMOs. So we had this conversation and I thought that the outcome that we arrived at, which was what the definition of sales enablement was for Forrester, which I'm sure we'll talk about in another podcast. And I had uh, executives from Forrester participate that they would see the, uh, see the engagement. And I thought game over, right? You know, here we had real market validation, right. highlighted a need, but really Great what companies, happened, yeah, yeah, fantastic companies, a lot of debate, a lot of conflict between, between it, which to me highlights, we need to research this more. But really what happened was all that did was create some sponsors. So uh, apparently what I didn't know at the time, Forrester has this process, this strategic process that they go through, a deep dive process to assess the health of, uh, of an individual role. And they need to make sure that that has a, uh, an economic market uh, cap associated with it or opportunity associated with it. So what we had to do is we had to actually survey an interview and collect data, uh, primary data, statistical data, not the, what I would call wisdom uh, type data through a conversation that we just had some stats to show how many seats we could sell, uh, what kind of research agenda we would need to have, yada, 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 yada. So, so this is interesting. So you saw a vision. I'm going to pull everybody together. You figured out how to do that, by the way, which I think is great. You, you, know, you funded it. But these folks all traveled on their dime to come out. All this buzz and excitement. Uh, you guys leave there. You think, okay, I can start researching it. But it, instead, it turns into now we have to figure out how this is going to link to our strategy, right? So how do we, yeah. what type of products, how are we going to sell to these guys, et cetera. And they, and they may have changed their process now. This was 11 years ago, but at the time, you know, it, it needed to be linked to the strategy. And I think, you know, from what I'm hearing here, is, here there's, this, is, this is important because it sounds like you had to constantly get what, you know, the proverbial buy-in along the way, every step of the way. Well, I think, and this is, kind of fast forward now to 2019, I think this is what all sales enablement leaders are, are, are struggling with, which is there's always another hoop. So oh, yeah. it's like first, number one, let's get our customer uh, feedback. So we collected a lot of customer feedback about the trends, uh, you know, getting the chief sales officer of HP, for example, <laughs> in the same room with the chief marketing officer of, of Xerox and them arguing out about where it is and then flipping that argument around and then illuminating the fact that they're really talking about a gray area that nobody owns. Yeah. When, and, so when you say arguing as a researcher, you don't mean fisticuffs, you mean debate. Correct. You mean passion, passion. It sounds like, right. That's right. De I just want to make sure that people understand that you're not fostering a, you know, this, the, the, the a hostile work environment, <laughs> a hostile work environment and it's putting people in the, the, the hexagon. <laughs> but um, but this, this is important as well. The second piece of this to me is this idea of a debate. And it's going to be an intelligent debate because you're talking about linking a role to a business strategy. And I think if you fast forward to today in 2019, uh, sales enablement professionals are going to get into those types of debates, right? Well, they should or else what's going to happen is somebody else's pre-existing idea of what sales enablement is is going to shape it. And your opportunity to impact the rest of the company is diminished from the, from right. that reason. So, so you know, okay, got it. 
Yeah, so so basically, it, just within Forrester, though, I mean, think of it this way. So I want to uh, prevent the, the circular looping that, that goes on with some of this stuff. But we had very senior level people who are our customers speaking on their behalf of what they were looking for. Some of the executives saw it, but how do you collect that sort of subjective feedback? And then how do you communicate it up to actual decision makers? Because there's so many people involved in deciding that we're going to add a new role uh, at, at Forrester, for example, that we got enough sponsorship to say, eh, okay, we'll allow <laughs> you to go through this deep dive process. So the frustrating part is, as a former salesperson, all of those executives who were willing to buy right then and there a service that we wanted to, wanted to offer, we had to wait another nine months to go through this deep dive process. And in this deep dive process, we interviewed and we had the people who weren't us, the, the strategy team within Forrester interviewed uh, a segment of folks. We plotted it out. We took feedback that we had. We created a framework, an organizational framework. We identified different stakeholder roles that we would target our research for, all of those other things. That was the groundwork that we had to do. And in order to do that, to launch actually a sales enablement role, so that was all the work that we had to do before we could even hire you to join our team back then. Brian. Yeah, I was going to say, I appreciate all that work because that's <laughs> what got the, uh, the funding for my role and this idea of an analyst joining you, right? That's right. So, yeah. So, that, so if we stay there on the, the precursor of that nine-month period, um, what other kind of friction did you run into? Well, the, the friction really gets into a lot of people don't want to spend time to talk about the definition of a term, particularly when people are, have strong opinions that they know what that term means. So for example, if you have folks who don't want resources diverted away from say the role of product marketing or away from the role of strategic marketing, those people are going to argue a lot to prevent those resources from getting diverted. It's the same problem that would be inside your company or anybody's company is the second you bring up a new role, the argument, the pushback that you feel, you feel like Galileo, you feel like you're being a heretic, but really the core functional problem that you're dealing with is one of resource. And no one's going to say, Oh, you're going to take money and resources away from me. That's never what anybody's going to say. So they're going to pound you with a lot of things to ask you to prove, to, to make proof that this is going to work. And what yeah. I had to do was I had to say, well, what's currently being promoted as best practice is not working. So there you have examples from your past right. history and all these folks in the room. And I did this deep dive, you know, because you know, I have the luxury of seeing what that was back when I joined and it said what was kind of broken in the space that you wanted to go fix. That's right. right? So you had, right. you had the voice of the customer. That's right. So what, the, why wasn't that the good enough? The customer is just, I think one, one of the lessons learned, Brian, there is how do you organize the voice of the customer in a way that's digestible for folks who see the world through the lens of the folks in the inquisition? Yeah, no that's interesting because 
Yeah, so to, to not, yeah, the Gal, Galileo reference there, that's awesome. Because everybody, there's so many different perspectives, right? I think um, it, it's easy to say, well, it's just one person I have to convince, it's the person sitting in front of me. But if you think about it, there, there are a lot of people in, in the Inquisition there. That's right. And connecting all those dots, even if you have the quantitative and qualitative reference that may not work. And you know, that's one of the big takeaways that I have here is this idea of, of what that might mean. So Scott, we're almost out of time. And I think I could talk about this for a lot longer, but one of the things that, that I'm hearing here and I want our listeners to, to relate to is, and the takeaway for me is, you know, this idea of getting buy-in, getting support, getting alignment, it has to be personal. You know, you have to make it personal. And by that, I mean, you know, who's, you know, tapping into my sales background, who's, who's going to be buying this from you as a sales enablement leader. And you had those things at Forrester, you had the voice of the customer, you had the data, et cetera, but then it became, who do you need to navigate to inside your own organization? Who do you need to uh, have those quote unquote sales calls with and how do they take this on as something that they want to do? Right. So that they believe in it, et cetera, and transfer that passion that you obviously had to your, to your internal leaders and internal peers and customers internally. Uh, that, that's easier said than done, but that, that has to be done or else if you didn't do that, I certainly wouldn't have joined up with you uh, eight, eight, or, eight or nine months later and I wouldn't be sitting here right now. So, but it, more importantly, um, when you look at, the, the, I just did a search while we were talking, there's, there's almost 12 million website pages that say sales enablement on it. And, and I know back when, when you and I started, there, were, there was far less than that. Uh, maybe 500,000. So there's been a huge proliferation of the role uh, and, and the titles, et cetera. And I think that's, that's a huge uh, piece of this is what does it mean to, to these different functions and how do you make it relatable and uh, something that's additive to what people are trying to achieve with customers? What takeaways do you have? Uh, so that's a good question. I, I would say the, the real value of what a sales enablement role really is the real value is the elimination or the simplification of a lot of the different disparate parts that go to sales. Okay, so that sounds really academic and very difficult. So you do have to personalize it. You have to give it an identity for each one of your companies, but you have to be able to frame it out with all of the different audiences. Uh, so you talked about sales 101. I think about there's a, there's a cartoon I love uh, foghorn leghorn and there's this one foghorn leghorn where a little chicken hawk wants to get him and the dog who doesn't like foghorn leghorn says hey if you want to be able to get that chicken you need to give me a bone and the little chicken hawk wants to know where to get a bone a cat tells him hey I know where to get a bone all you need to do is get me a fish and then the uh, the little uh, the little chicken hawk runs in a mouse and says, a fish, I know how to get you a fish if you get me uh, that hunk of cheese. And the tagline of this cartoon is, everybody wants something. And for me, the number one thing that I think is the most important is how do you give your job in sales and they want is to give everybody, everybody the thing that they want. So you have to give the customers what it is that they want. So you have to know what they, what they care about. You have to understand what the salespeople want, and therefore you have to know what they care about. You have to give the sales managers what they want, and you have to know what they care about. You have to know what the VPs of sales want and what they care about. You have to be able to give the CEO what he wants, or he or she wants, the CFO what they want. 
you have to be able to give marketers what they want. You have to be able to give business unit, uh, business unit leaders what they want. And ultimately, the way that that all happens is by being very disciplined and breaking things down. And I think if, if, if where we are today, there's only a small percentage of the folks that are actually in this role of sales enablement, they assume that because what's in their head, just like I did, I assumed my view yeah, of what too. sales enablement was was the right one. And I ran into a lot of friction. Uh, many of us within these sales enablement roles believe it. And because there's 12 million websites out there, there are what, 400, 500 different companies out there that today that are in the sales enablement space. Right. Provide a low hanging fruit tagline out there to, to confirm any point of view that you have. But back to your point, Brian, at the end of the day, if you're not converting the information from maybe your suppliers, the human resources, the product people, the marketing people, and converting it into conversational content that salespeople can have with customers, it's going to be very difficult to add value. And that means you need to do the work. What's in it for them? What's in it for everybody? I'd say that would be the number one thing that I've learned. And it's not easy to do. Absolutely not. But you know what? Uh, it's not easy, but it has to be done. Somebody has to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. If, all right. Well, thanks for joining uh, everybody and continue to listen to us. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.